Let's try it again. Okay. There we go. Okay. Oh my god. Sigh of relief. <laughs> oh well, when we first started recording this, it 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 wasn't, wasn't working. working, and it scared me. And if you're here from last episode, you know how much we struggled with getting it to work. We have been struggling all. with audio all day, mm-hmm. and it's this is and even even two. before even before. Even before. Oh my gosh. Today. So bad. It's just we had to get some crackers and some we had drinks some too. Sus, sub, because we're just recording. We're doing a mass recording session of Six all episodes. stuff. Yeah. So I'm gonna fall asleep. <laughs> yeah. Don't fall asleep because that's not good. I need you to be present for this because it's very, very intriguing. What's gonna be present is my snores. Don't snore. I can't help it. I mean I snore, but we're not falling asleep. We gotta I get this I done. Don't think I snore. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know either. All right. Business. Patreon. Instagram. Website. Gmail. Gmail. Go do whatever it is you do. It's all in our bio. If you want to. Of Anchor. All in the bio. Oh, and I guess we need to tell everybody who we are. Yeah. (laughs) Um, This is all things wicked and vile. With. Oh, I thought you were going to say your name first. No, you always go first. Why? You, Why can't you go first? I'm Sal. I'm V. No. I always go first. I know, and that's how it should be. Well, we could go alphabetically. Technically. <laughs> She's fluffing me off. Shut I'm going to buff you off back. <laughs> okay, just shut up. Okay. Well, I can't shut up because this is one of my cases. You did a lot more research. No. This took me so fucking long. You guys don't even understand. I have so much research. It's not Ten even funny. Ten pages. Ten pages. But this one is really interesting, though. You guys are going to enjoy this one. I mean, not enjoy because it's kind of, it's really, really sad. But you're going to, this is this is wild. This is the case of Heli Craft. Now, her name is kind of strange, but that's because she's Danish. I thought it was Helen. It's not Helen. It's not Helen. It's Heli. Heli. Okay. Um, She was it's born. Cute, though. Um, this case is very significant because it was the first case in Connecticut to get conviction without a victim's body. Interesting. Yes, and you'll see why. My sources include Wikipedia, Murderpedia, Murderpedia, um, Corrent.com, and NewtonB.com. I got a couple different articles from them. You didn't even say when she was born or died. Yeah, it is right here. You didn't read it. Well, I'm gonna read it right here. Oh, I was gonna say. Yeah, it's right. It's literally right here. You started to say it up there. Well, I just put it up there so I would know, but I've got it in here. Reading it, you started to say it and then didn't finish. That's why I thought you were gonna say it then. No, I I I changed my mind halfway through because I already have it right here. Excuse the heck out of me. Okay, we're gonna get started. Okay, Helly was born in Denmark on July seventh, nineteen forty-seven. She was described as being outgoing and also enjoyed going to school. I don't really know that many kids nowadays who actually like going to school. She was fluent in French, English, Danish, German, Norwegian, and Swedish. She learned a lot of these languages when she was a teenager. She was also so pretty. She's tall. She had beautiful blonde hair, blue eyes, and very high cheekbones. And the pictures of her are just gorgeous. We'll have to post them on our website or blog whenever I get that done. When she graduated high school, she went to college in England. And worked as a live-in nanny or an au pair there. Um, according to Google, that means a nanny that takes care of housework and childcare in exchange for room and board. And I'm not exaggerating because she's absolutely stunning and her smile could literally light up any room. Um, she started working as a stewardess with Capital Airways and she loved to travel. She then applied to be a stewardess for the Pan Am Airlines in Copenhagen. They sent her to stewardess school. I didn't know that was a thing. It is. In Miami. And she graduated top of her class. 
Murderpedia also mentioned that she was one of 200 that was picked. Only seven, under, seven other individuals out of that 200 picked to work for Pan Am. Pan Am was a really big airline back in the day. On May 24th, 1969, Heli meet a pilot that was the beginning of the end. He was a young man with an odd attractive quality that made him unlike other men. His hair was very messy, pretty much at all times, and he was he was kind of short. He's only five foot eight. That is tiny. Yeah, his name was Richard Crafts. I put craft on here, but it's crafts. And Richard was big with the ladies. He always seemed to have one on his arm, mostly stewardesses. He was pretty he was pretty pretty set on that. Yeah. He had a he had yeah, he's a man whore. He had a penchant for telling white lies and fibs about how he used to work in the CIA and stuff like that. He literally would say, Oh, I used to work at the CIA. But that well sounds like my sister's husband. We'll just pretend that didn't happen. Okay, so now we're going to get into Richard's childhood and his life. Richard was born in New York on, tw- on December 20th, 1937. That makes him 10 years older than Helly. Unlike Helly, he, was, he did not do good in school. He attended private school because his dad was a very important person. He did attempt to go to college but dropped out shortly after and then joined the Marines in 1956. It was in his service to the Marines that Richard found a passion for flying. He loved studying aviation and was very good at flying helicopters. He was so good that he became certified as a pilot a few years after joining the Marines. He was stationed in Korea and Japan in 1958 by the Marines, but he also flew um, from, for Air America. Air America was a recognized branch of the CIA. Maybe that's where he got all his last from. I don't know. Not sure if this is true or not, but apparently Richard flew several top-secret missions in Laos and Vietnam, among other places. He was wounded in Laos, and that was really the only information the Murderpedia and other places have about his quote-unquote top-secret flying stuff. You like that? My, my I, I do. Super technical flying stuff. Not surprisingly, he had some issues finding work after being injured. He was able to get a job with Eastern Airlines, which was one of the largest airlines in the U.S., he still managed to have a social life, never without a girl on his arm, even with his hectic schedule as a pilot. Interesting, interestingly enough, when he met Helly a year later, he was engaged to somebody else. Can we say hashtag player? <laughs> I even put that in my notes. <laughs> you see it right there. <laughs> oh my gosh, you did. I did. I had to put the little. I had to put the little things in there. Their relationship was anything but rainbows and butterflies. They were that annoying on again, off again couple, and often fight in public. I hate those kind of couples. But I also love it so I can hear all the tea. Yeah, hear all the drama. I blame Richard for his for their on and again, off again relationship because Ellie, I'm sorry, Helly honestly seems like a saint. Here's a quote from Murderpedia that I think sums this up quite nicely. Helly's friends were suspicious of crafts and some showed open hostility toward him. Most of her friends could not understand Helly's attraction to crafts when it was so obvious that she could have nearly any man she wanted. Then comes 1975 and Helly found out she's pregnant with Richard's child they married in that same year in New Hampshire. In 1976, they bought a small home in Newton, Connecticut. She had the baby and then had two more children. She was a career woman, and we stand a working woman in this podcast, because yes, I am do. one. We're a working mom, and I'm a working mom. We stand all moms and dads and non-binary parents in this podcast. Yes. Supports for everybody. If you're a parent, God bless you. We Or whoever bless you. Like, it doesn't... Oh. Speaking Speak of, of the devil. My child is not crying. It is, it's okay, though. She'll be okay for a minute. Her dad's in there. Uh, so she hired an au pair of her own, uh, who was 19 at the time, to take care of her house and kids. Her name was Dawn. Helly and Wait, Rick- can I just guess that the husband and Dawn do things? Actually, they don't. Oh, shocker. I don't think so. Does it? I never found anything that said that. 
Hallie and Richard made quite a bit of money to live comfortably, making more than $125,000 a year in the 80s. In a typical nuclear home fashion and old-timey traditions, Richard handled all the money and he had a very specific hobby, buying and collecting firearms. According to Murderpedia, he already had quite the collection with the purchase of their new house. Because they were living in like a T-tiny apartment or something like that, he didn't have room for all his guns. So, his passion was renewed even more and began buying more guns. Among those, he had several shotguns and handguns, and they included several 9mm automatics, 44 caliber revolvers, 357 magnums, semi-automatics, hand grenades, high-power rifles, crossbows, and tons of ammo. The collection of guns and weapons put a strain on the marriage, along with some other issues that we're going to get into. There were signs of physical abuse that were very noticeable. Helly would be out and about with bruises on her face. It was so bad that one of her friends told the police during the investigation about the abuse. Here's another quote from Murderpedia. The same friend who also said that Helly was deeply hurt by the way Richard treated her during her first pregnancy, and she would never forgive Richard for what he put her through. Lots of tension here. Another thing that caused tension in their marriage was Richard's fondness of disappearing for days on end. He would just literally pack up and leave and then return like nothing was going on. To add to their money issues, he made Helly pay for all their household expenses out of her own paycheck. And he got to buy pretty much whatever he wanted. All I have to say that is hashtag financial abuse. Did um, you put that in there? I, I did, I did. Murderpedia says he bought a variety of landscaping equipment, tractors, mowers, and a $25,000 backhoe, which he never used. Hmm. His front yard was a mismatch of rusting, broken machines that considered an eyesore by his neighbors. It always seemed that the craft's house need, either needed work or repairs being done. And yet another hole in this marriage was Richard's infidelity. Why am I not surprised? What kills me is that Helly knew about all the women he was with, and she stayed with him. I'm sure the children are part of that decision, but that had to have killed her spirit having to stay with such an awful garbage human being. Kudos to Helly, though, because she was working behind the scenes. She started the process of divorcing, divorcing Richard. Divorcing. even Yeah, divorcing. Even hiring a private detective named Keith Mayo. He's going to be a big player later on. Okay. Remember Keith Mayo, guys. Keith Mayo is an MVP. So she could have some hashtag receipts for the divorce proceedings. Is that too many hashtags? Do kids even do that anymore? No. <laughs> well, I do because I'm an old millennial. <laughs> the good old Richard could not stop being the dickwad that he is. He became did an auxiliary. Yes, I did. <laughs> he became an auxiliary or reserve police officer in 1982. In addition to his family and career with Eastern Airlines. So he basically buddied up with all the cops since he wasn't getting paid any extra to be a reserve officer. He took the position so seriously that he responded to calls even when he wasn't on duty. Oh my gosh. He enjoyed the position so much that he was hired as an actual police officer in 86, which means Helly is pretty much fucked at this point. Yeah. Police officers tend to stick together in an us versus them mentality and will always side with their brother in arms. I'm well, guessing that's what they did. I don't really know exactly if they did or not. But I just know that that's kind of the culture of law enforcement. What was sucky was that he was only making $7 an hour, which didn't help the whole house in shambles issue taking care of his wife and three kids. Yeah. He literally paid for all the expensive trains out of his own pocket and even outfitted an 85 Ford Crown Victoria, which is one of the police-issued vehicles, with all the police gadgets, bells, and whistles. He paid for this himself. Stupid. He got to buy literally whatever he wanted. And I'm guessing she didn't. No, she had to pay for all the, like the the children and like just just the cost of living, like buying groceries and fixing their house because it was always messed up. And all of this culminated on Wednesday, November nineteenth, nineteen eighty six. One of Helly's friends dropped her off at her home, and that was the last time anyone I really but Richard want saw to eat her. An animal cracker, but I don't want everyone to. <laughs> I really want you to cheese it right now or drink my coke, but I don't want to. I don't want to disturb anybody on the podcast. 
Um, not ASMR. Yeah, not ASMR. Not ASMR. <laughs> okay. Several weeks went by, and her friends hadn't heard from her. Her friends kept calling and calling, but they were unable to talk to her. Richard just kept 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 making up bullshit excuses. He told one friend that she had gone to Denmark to visit her mom. He told another couple friends that he didn't know where she was. She just left and didn't tell him where she was going. To another friend or two, Richard told him that she went to the Canary Islands with a friend of hers. I feel like if you're going to lie, keep the lie consistent. Exactly. He really didn't try very hard here. This is heartbreaking, this quote from Murderpedia. Friends grew suspicious and concerned about Helly's safety because they already knew about Richard's aggression and fiery temper. Helly once said, if something happens to me, don't think it was an accident. Oh, period. Yeah. She, like, I feel like she just knew that something bad would happen to her, which is really, really sad. Police went on to interview the all pair. Her name was, her full name was Dawn Murray Thomas, and she was able to fill in a few blanks for the investigators. On the morning of her disappearance, Richard had woken her up very early in the morning and informed her that Dawn, or not Dawn, that Helly was going to drive to Westford to visit her sister and that Richard and Dawn would be going up later. Dawn was like, why the hell are you waking me up at 6 a.m. to tell me this? Naturally, she thought that was strange, but it wasn't the only reason why it was strange. Newton had been the victim of a severe blizzard and the roads were really bad, and their power went out sometime in the night or early morning. Because of the power outage, then Richard woke up his, his children about half an hour after he woke up Dawn and they headed to Westport to his sister's house. After getting there and dropping off everyone, Richard left pretty soon after that. Dawn noticed that Helly wasn't even at the sister's house, as Richard had reported. Dawn would tell police that Richard did not return until 7 p.m. that evening. It's a long time to be gone. Dawn had asked Richard where Helly was, because she never showed up. And Richard was like, duh, I don't know. And Dawn was very suspicious of Richard and asked him again. This time he gave her a different answer. He said that she was in Denmark visiting her mother who was ill. It was at this point that Dawn saw the carpet that had been cut from the floor. Why the world was there carpet cut from the floor, you ask? These giant-ass squares cut out from the carpet. When she questioned Richard about this, she said that he could have spilled kerosene on the carpet. Which is super odd. Why would you have kerosene in your bedroom? Uh, you wouldn't. Yeah, because the carpet was in the bedroom. There were several squares that were, like, removed. Police then, um, th then called up Richard. They did an interview because she had been reported missing at this point. And they asked if he would take a polygraph. Richard was like, sure. And he ended up passing. Now, we all know that polygraphs are not really reliable. I can say, I don't believe those for a second. And Richard was really good at lying. Like, he lied for pretty much his whole life. It was enough to fool the investigators. Again, buddy-buddy with the cops. Thankfully, some of the police investigators didn't believe him. They thought it was super strange that this pilot was also a cop part-time, and he was just really, just really suspicious. What's the word the kids use? Sus. That's the word the kids use? Yes. Why, why did you just say suspicious? Because they say sus. Why is it sus? Why is it not suspicious? They also thought it was odd that he wrote in that tricked out fake police car to go on rogue security jobs for very low pay. On December 11th, investigators asked Richard to do another interview. I'm going to read a passage from Murderpedia about the interview because it literally had like the actual interview. On December 11th, investigators located Crafts on duty at the Southbury Police Department where he was working the night shift. Newton detectives called Southbury and asked that they send over Officer Crafts for further questioning. He routed the detective division in full uniform at 9.20 p.m. Lieutenant Michael DeJoseph and Detective Robert Tavarzik had already prepared some questions and conducted the interview. According to police reports, this was how the interview progressed. So, we're going to do a question and answer here. Richard, did you know that your wife hired a private investigator? No. Did you know that the PI documented your relationship with a New Jersey woman? No. Why would your wife tell her friends she was afraid of her for herself regarding serving a divorce paper? 
and tell them to check on her if something happened. I cannot imagine her saying this. It is completely out of character for her to say this. On November 18th, when Helly came home, when and why did she leave? Those answers are in my statement. What does it start with your bedroom rug? Apparently you removed it or cut some pieces out. Can you explain this to me? All the rugs in the house are being removed and replaced. What was spilled on the rug in your bedroom? Kerosene. Did you cut pieces out of the rug? Yes, two feet at a time. It's easier to remove that way. What did you do with the rug you took out of the bedroom? Dump bedroom rug in the Newton landfill one week ago. It was blue in color. Why have you been telling everyone different things about Helly being missing, like her mother being sick? I didn't want to say my wife was gone and did not know where she was. Has Helly received any mail since she's been missing? No, she's gotten no letters since she left. She usually gets about two letters a week. Whatever the police asked, Crafts had an answer. The demeanor seemed cooperative yet guarded. Again, he was not caught in the outright lies. They were more like half-truths. And for a man whose wife has suddenly and inexplicably vanished, Richard Crafts seemed rather apathetic. He was released after providing calls with a brief one-page statement that was less than helpful. Detectives were left with even more questions than before, but they were becoming more convinced that whatever happened to Helen Nielsen Crafts, somehow, in some way, Richard Crafts had something to do with him. Now, this P.I., Keith Mayo, he's a rock star. He was on the ground running from the first moment, the first moment he heard that Helly was missing. He just knew that Richard was involved. He went to everyone for help. He went to attorneys and friends, anyone that could potentially help him. He was immediately suspicious as to why Richard was giving different reasons for her being gone. But he knew he would need some hard evidence. He figured out that the pieces of the carpet and the rug that Richard had cut out ended up at the Canterbury dump. This dump was a couple hours away from Newton. He got some help from local garbage collectors to track down the rug. Then he ended up finding a piece of it. It had some mysterious-looking stains on it, and Keith sent it to a forensics lab and confirmed that it was one of the missing pieces. Here's another call from Murderpedia. But the investigation received another setback when Dr. Lee, the forensic um, guy who did the, the testing on the rug, reported his findings on Mayo's rug samples from the Canterbury Dump. After four hours of backbreaking work carried on the carpet, wrote Dr. Lee, none of the stains tested positive for blood. Mayo's dogged pursuit of evidence, however, had another anticipated, unanticipated result. It focused even more attention on the case, which seemed to be floundering at the hands of Newton police. Helly's friends also kept up a nonstop campaign of calling the police for updates on the investigation. As a result, the state's attorneys decided it would, the investigation would be handled in total by the state police investigators. Probably a good decision, since he was a, a member of the Newton Police Department. Yeah. Helly had some amazing friends that would stop at nothing to get her story pasted all over every news outlet there was. This lit a fire under investigators' asses, who were at first not too interested in finding out what happened to Helly, because... It's a, he's a police officer. Why would he kill his wife? You know? With their renewed interest in the case, investigators began to do some digging into what Richard was doing before Helly went missing. That's when they found the charges for the freezer that was ironically never found in the house. Um, He bought a freezer. A random-ass deep freeze. Somewhere. We don't know where it's at. They also discovered the charge for renting a wood chipper that they never found. Okay. So, on December 25th, Christmas Day of 86... People, police finally went to search Richard's house with a warrant. Things were looking a little bit odd in the house, to say the least. This included the pieces of the carpet from the bedroom was removed. Side note, the, na the nanny that had hired they had hired told investigators of a dark, grapefruit-sized stain on the carpet that was mysteriously removed. They also found blood smears and Richard credit cards that were also suspicious. He made a lot of purchases before, he, before Helly disappeared and after she disappeared. He had bought that new freezer that wasn't even in the house. He bought new sheets for the bed, a new comforter, and a ran of the wood chipper. This didn't even try to hide anything. He didn't, he didn't hide anything. Stupid. Here's another quote from Murderpedia. What they found was an empty house in complete disarray. Furniture was strewn about. Dirty clothes lay everywhere. Dishes and ut kitchen utensils were unwashed in the sink and on countertops. Mattresses lay on the bare floor in the living room, along with boxes of toys and other items. The carpets were already pulled up and discarded. 
A freezer was located and searched. There was no body inside. What detectives did not realize at the time, however, was that the freezer they searched was actually Kraft's old freezer. The new one, which, had per he, which he purchased on November 17th, had already been removed and later discarded. During the search, dozens of weapons were located intact, for any one of these guns could be the one that killed Heli Crafts. For the next few days, the search team went over every inch of Crafts' home and eventually seized 108 pieces of evidence according to the search warrant inventory. And some of this evidence included several Smith & Wesson 357 revolvers, a few 38 caliber revolvers, Colt Python 38 caliber pistols, Ruber carbine rifles, Finnish semi-automatic weapons, 12-gauge pump shotguns, Winchester rifles, Beretta handguns with clips, a 380 automatic handgun, two hand grenades, a Beretta crossbow, Walther PPK handgun, two 9mm semi-automatic handguns, Heckler Kosh 45 caliber pistol, over and under style universal shotgun, numerous clips, and assortment of ammunition. The quality nation of the arsenal inside the house astounded the search team. Also seized were hand towels, washcloths, fiber samples, and a king-size mattress with bedding. And again, the P.I., he came through again, hunty. Like work. He came Good. through. He found the receipt for the chainsaw that was in Lake Zor in Connecticut. When it was examined, it had hair and blood that matched Helicraft. We now have physical evidence. Then there's a snowplow driver. He's another MVP of the story. He told police that he'd seen Richard using a wood chipper near the light of Lake Zor in the middle of the blizzard. I was going to hold that for you oh, if you wanted me to. In the middle of the night. So he saw, he literally saw Richard at Lake Zor using the wood chipper. It was the night of the 19th, the last day that anyone saw Heli alive. So police went to search the area of Lake Zor. According to Murderpedia, they found many pieces of metal, less than three ounces of human remains, including a tooth with unique dental work, a toenail covered in pink nail polish, bone chips, 2,660 bleached blonde human hairs, fingernails, and O-type blood, the same type as Heli Crafts. Analysis of the police concluded the remains had gone through a wood chipper. The forensic investigation was led by renowned forensic scientist Dr. Henry Lee, the guy who investigated the carpet samples. With this new evidence, police put together a rough timeline. They think that Richard struck her with a blunt object that rendered her unconscious in their bedroom. That would match the bloodstains found on the carpet. Then they think they, he took her body to the new freezer and kept it there for a hot minute. After that, they think he took her out of the freezer, chopped her up with a chainsaw by the river, then ran the pieces of her frozen body through the wood chipper. Finally, he must have scattered the tiny pieces of her body to the river and surrounding areas. Can you say fucking asshole? Awful. I just don't understand. Like, what would call it? What? Why? Is he dead? Because he deserves to. Be. And we'll we'll get to that. You're gonna be really pissed off, but we're gonna get to that. Detectives searched the lake and the surrounding areas and found several small pieces of evidence. In addition to everything else, they found large piles of wood chips, small chunks of plastic that was green and mixed in with the wood chips. They also found shredded pieces of paper and envelopes. Remember how he said that Helly hadn't received any mail? Yeah. She most certainly did. He just started that. Um, there were pieces of mail found, and one of them clearly stated Helly's name and address. They had to painstakingly search the entire perimeter with the utmost care to find any and all evidence because it was so small. And then they were able to find more envelopes with her name on them, and then they found the rest of the evidence that I already talked about. Investigators also searched the Housatonic River, and it was so cold that it made it difficult for any evidence to be found by the divers. They worked around without getting permission to lower the water level from the nearby dam upriver. Up in the freezing water, they found a still chain from a chainsaw in the riverbed with a serial number filed off. Soon after, they found a human toe, part of a finger, and also a bit of a tooth. Murdopedia states, In the end, Dr. Lee said our team's efforts at Lake Zor eventually led to the discovery of 2,660 strands of blonde hair, 69 slivers of human bone, 5 droplets of human blood, 2 teeth, a truncated piece of human skull, 3 ounces of human tissue, a portion of human finger, one fingernail, and one portion of a toenail. 
Kelly Crafts had been found. Since her body is put through the wood chipper and scattered, police did not have a body for to charge and try Richard. However, since they found that tooth, that was identified as Helly, so she could be pronounced legally deceased, and Richard was arrested for her murder in January of 1987. Murderpedia says on January 11th, an arrest warrant was issued in Newton Court for Richard Crafts. It was a culmination of weeks of intensive and exhausting police work. The same night, at about 9 p.m., a dozen Connecticut State Troopers and detectives responded to five Newfield Lane to arrest Richard Crafts. They surrounded his ranch-style home and called Crafts on the phone. He was ordered to come outside and surrender. I'm tired. I'll take care of it in the morning, Crafts replied. When police insisted that he surrender immediately, Crafts became angry. Don't call me back, he shouted and hung up. After a nail-biting series of phone calls and promises to surrender, which were never fulfilled, Crafts agreed to come outside. His children were still inside the house asleep. At 12.30 a.m., Crafts told cops over the phone, I'll be out in five minutes. A short time later, a distraught and disheveled Crafts emerged and surrendered to the police. After an array at nearby uh, Danbury Court, he was taken to the Bridgeport Jail facility to await further developments. His bail was set at only $750,000. Because of all the publicity that this case was, was receiving, the trial had to be moved to another town. The trial officially began in May of 88, where it ended in a mistrial. The jury was 11 to 1 for a guilty verdict. It was so intense that a juror walked out because he refused to say that Richard was guilty. So intense that somebody walked out. How, it was like, how do you not know that he's guilty? Everybody else knew was that one dude. I bet that dude feels really shitty now. I really think he does. He better. After all that nonsense, the trial was moved again for a retrial to Norwalk, where he was found guilty on November 21st, 1989, and was sentenced in 1990, or January of 1990, to 50 years in prison. Not mm -hmm. enough time, I might add. Now I'm going to read you this article that will make your blood boil. This is what I found for Corinne. Notorious murder Richard Crass, who used a chainsaw to cut up his wife's body and a wood chipper to dispose of it, is out of prison and living in a halfway house, a State Department of Corrections spokesman said Friday. The 82-year-old is a transitional housing program for veterans in Bridgeport, Carrie Martusi said. Crafts been behind bars since his arrest in 87, Martusi said. He was sentenced to 50 years in prison on January 8, 1990. He served a dramatically shorter sentence for different reasons, mostly because of an old sentencing law known as statutory good time. The law, which have been, since had been changed, allowed for, larger, allowed for large amounts of time to be taken off prisoner sentences as a reward for good behavior in jailhouse jobs, she said. Corrections officials have to apply the, the law that was in place at the time of at the time of sentencing. Had Crafts been sentenced after the new, less generous sentencing laws put in place, he would not have been eligible for any time off his sentence, Martucci said. Crafts also got credit for three years. He was locked up he, in between arrest and sentencing. He was convicted after a second trial because of the first it ended in a mistrial. It was the first murder conviction in the state without a body. In 87-88, he got disciplinary infraction of having contraband in his jail cell, which Martusi said didn't affect his quote-unquote good time. At least one of these times he was restricted to his cell for 15 days. She said she didn't know what the items were, but that they were not illegal drugs, and the offense was only considered a medium, quote-unquote medium, level of offense. In addition, Kraft was left out of prison seven months early, so he made transfer to a supervised program instead of being released to the streets after 32 years behind bars. Crafts were classified as a low risk of the community, was released from the Willard Zabluski Correctional Institution, the least secure prison, in the, to the custody of the Bridgeport program on November 1st, Martucci said. She said he began serving his time in a maximum security prison. Based on his sentence, and within this period, without this period of supervision, Crafts would not have had any assistance transitioning back to the community, she said. For us, it's our job to prevent even someone of extreme violence because they're going to go home. According to current archives, prosecutors said, Richard Crafts bought a large freezer on November 17, 1986. The next day, November 18, was the last time anyone saw Heli Crafts. 
On the morning of November 19th, Richard Crafts drove the children from their home to Newton, Newtown to his sister's house in Westport. On November 20th, he rented the wood chipper in a truck which he used to haul the wood chipper. The state said Crafts killed his wife, froze her body, cleaned up the chainsaw and used a wood chipper in several areas of Newtown and Southbury to do with the body. He then disposed of the freezer to prevent authorities from finding any evidence. On November 20th, several witnesses saw the truck and the wood chipper in different locations in Newtown and Southbury, including on a steel bridge in Newtown between 3 and 4 a.m. Crafts told someone he was cleaning limbs down in a November 18th storm. However, no tree limbs fell on the property during the storm. State police later searched the area near the steel bridge and found among the piles of wood chips an envelope bearing the victim's name, pieces of bone and tissue, a human fingernail, and crowns to the victim's teeth, prosecutors said. Police also recovered underwater near the steel bridge, Crafts' chainsaw and a saw blade. They contained blood and tissue and hair fragments matching those of the victim. At one point, when state divers began looking for his wife, Crafts told his brother-in-law, Let them die. If there's no body, it's gone. Notoriety aside, the prison system had no choice when it comes to releasing prisoners like Crafts. High notoriety case, extremely violent. All these pieces of this makes it interesting, Martucci said. But all this comes down to it. He served his time in prison. No, not enough. Doesn't, doesn't that make you mad? Doesn't that make you mad? It does. Severely. Like, fuck you, Richard Crafts. He's not even dead yet. He's not dead. He's still alive. He just was, that was in 2020 when he was released. He deserves to be dead. Yep, he deserves to die a long and painful death. Yes, and maybe put him through a wood chipper. Yes! Like, I feel like if you're gonna murder somebody, you should be killed the same way that you murdered somebody. Yep. So he needs to be bludgeoned, first off, and then he needs to be frozen. frozen. And then he needs to be cut up with a chainsaw. chainsaw and then put through the wood chipper and then dispose in a river. Yeah. That's what that guy deserves. I knew that was gonna make you mad. At the very least. I told you it was interesting. Oh my gosh. Yeah, because I know you were like looking at me weird, but now like this is this is this is this is this is yeah. That's so mm-hmm. frustrating. Mm-hmm. Oh, oh, I hated gosh. it. I hated every moment of it, just listening, and I'm just like, what the actual fuck? Because I didn't know anything about this case at all, and the more I got into it, the more mad I got. Mm. So yeah, I hated it. Yep. Rest in peace, Helly Crass, and I feel really bad for her children. I'd be really bad that those children have that asshole for a father. And I'm... they lost their mother. Yes. And their father killed her. I know. And she had three children. How do you live with that? Yes, and her mother was still alive when she died. Because her mother was in Denmark. That's sad. Mm-hmm. I don't think her mother is alive today. I, don't, I would doubt it, but still. Yeah, that's sad. So sad. Um, so, yeah, now everyone's depressed. That's episode nine? I don't know which one we're on. Hopefully I didn't talk too fast. You think I talk too fast? No. You but sure? I'm also used to how you talk, so. Well, if, it, if I talk too fast, just deal with it. Slow it down. How yeah. am I supposed to slow it Not down? Not you, them. They oh, I guess they could. I guess you could do it on, like, one, one point, blah, 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 one point oh speed. Like this. <laughs> Good luck with that, guys. Yeah. Hope you enjoyed this episode. I mean, it was really depressing. And the guy's still alive. Which is even more depressing. He only served 32 fucking years. Not enough, not enough, not enough. He's supposed to serve 50. That wasn't enough. No. I don't understand how he got 50 years for that. He should have at least gotten life without parole. If you kill someone, you deserve to be killed. Or at least life in prison without the possibility of parole. And I'd I'd At least. Like, if. If you murdered me, Victoria, you would deserve to die. 
Yeah, same for you. And to that me. goes with anybody. Yes. If you kill someone, I think yes. you should be killed. Yes. But like without a shadow of a doubt, like in this case, there was no question that he didn't do it. Yes. He, he didn't even try to hide it. But if there's like a even like a little chance that it could be someone else, that's when I'm against it. But there was nobody no, else. She had she had wasn't. no she had no other enemies. Everybody loved her. She was just a wonderful, saintly human being. And she stayed with this asshole. For her children. You know it was for her children. I mean, that's the only reason I would stay. And Not that I have children. She was trying to get away, though. That's the thing. She was trying to get away. She was trying so hard. Even hired a fucking PI. That's probably why he did it. I think so. I'm not really sure what his motive was because I never could find that. In the background, pounding things. I think he's pounding pork chops. I think so. Pounding meat. (laughs) 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 Yes, he's probably pounding out pork chops for supper because it's almost supper time for us. Yeah, because it's five o'clock ish. Yeah, I'm probably gonna eat some more cheetahs before we record. We've only recorded two episodes today. There's no way we're gonna get finished today. We'll get finished. We're gonna do it. We've got this. It's fine. Everything's fine. Alrighty. Well, that's it for this one. Hope you guys enjoy. Go follow us on all the things that you need to follow us on. Yeah, just go do all the things. Just do all the things. Live long and prosper. Doing the spot Live, signal. laugh, love. Live, laugh, love. <laughs> <laughs> Alright. Peace out, bros. Peace out.